Hi, everybody. I'm Nancy, a compulsive overeater. How you doing? It's great to be here. I was actually looking forward to it driving home. Uh, grabbed a quick dinner and um, logged on. Um, my abstinence date is January 4th, 20... <laughs> oh, God, I wrote it down somewhere. 2016. I have six years of continuous abstinence. Um, I truly believe in individual food plans for everybody. My food plan was um, my, my sponsor and I uh, went through it. It was very easy for me to determine my, my problem foods there, anything with sugar and flour. Um, and I, I was basically, I heard a speaker from LA say SFSFQ, which was sugar, flour, salt, fat, quantity. Those were my things. <laughs> and um, when I heard that, I was like, yes. So, you know, I was, um, I was actually born fat. I was like a eight pound baby. I guess that's big for 1959, which is when I was born. And I was always chubby. And I got told my whole life, you're the prettiest one if you could just lose weight um, from the very beginning. And I remember being like five years old, we had a big plate glass window in the front of our house. And I remember sitting in front of it by the Christmas tree, wishing that my gut was not there. You know, and all little kids have guts. You know what I mean? Or most, I don't know. But it was a very inappropriate thing for a five-year-old to be feeling at the time. It went on and on like that. Basically, my, my parents, mostly my dad, were, were obsessed with my weight and my sister's weight. My sister was about an inch taller than me. And my dad just always wanted us to be skinny. And we weren't. The boys could be whatever they wanted, but the girls had to be Barbie dolls. And um, I was, I was threatened. I was bribed. I was dragged to a Weight Watcher meetings. Um, I was, you know, and there was always that mixed message too, where I'd see my dad have a fight with my mom, go into the kitchen, dip into the peanut butter jar, and then tell me later, um, you're too fat, but finish your ice cream. It was so crazy. You know, it was just, it was, it's just a crazy maddening disease um, that my dad suffered from as well. He was the type that would run all the time in those sweatsuits made of plastic. So he would sweat, you know, and stuff like that. So he could stay skinny and he was a ladies man. Um, and my mom just didn't care. My mom was the, um, I'm half German, half Irish. My mom was German and she was the type that just like sat there in solemn, gutting it out, whatever pain it was. And my dad was the happy go lucky Irishman. And, um, my, my siblings and I, uh, my sister and I were very much focused on. And I didn't realize until years later that a parent's obsession with your body is known as sexual abuse, even though there was never any touching or penetration. Um, and I was very much um, aghast to hear that, you know. Um, by the time I was in my 30s, early 30s, I finally set a boundary with my dad and told him to stop. He's not allowed to mention my my body weight or my body or my appearance ever again. That's just not acceptable no matter what. Because I would 
get off the plane to go visit my parents in Cincinnati. And I would get the, I would get the old up and down, like, oh, you've gained weight or, oh, you've lost weight or whatever, you know. And I always compulsively overate. I always grab for more. I, um, I've always been a sugaraholic and pizza and bread and everything that, everything that's a comfort food, you know, and there was a lot of stuff that went on in my childhood that caused me to want to escape. I, I also used other things, you know, other than food, but food was from the very beginning. It was the first to come and the last to go. And, um, so I, yeah, and, and there's a picture of my sister and I sitting at, or standing at the pool. We, we were members of a pool and I was on the swim team and I was really fast, um, even though I was chubby. I was really good at sports, even though I was chubby. And um, I was always told that you're never gonna get, you're never gonna be good at sports, you're never gonna get a husband, you're never gonna get a job, nobody's gonna like you because you're fat. And so that was the worst thing that you could be in my mind, but I was, and I stayed that way until I was 44 years old. Um, I did not, I went first, my first OA meeting was in October of 1987. I did not stay because I couldn't fathom the idea of never having any kind of sugar or flour. Um, it just did not compute. And plus, I was pretty much a newcomer in AA too. So I needed that pounder bag of M&Ms. I needed it, you know. So I went in and out of OA for several years. And that was in Atlanta where I moved to. Um, and everybody in Atlanta, if you've ever been there or not, all the women in Atlanta are tens. They're all beautiful and slim and so on. And of course, um, I felt more comfortable in a hundred pounder meeting than I did in a mixed meeting that there was a lot of anorexics and bulimics. But uh, if there was a hundred pounder meeting in the area, I felt more comfortable. Those were my people. And I, although I did not have a hundred pounds to lose, I felt like it. And I had about 60 to lose, but, but, you know, heavy people were my people. And, and that's, you know, I, I just went in and out. And I did see a lot of recovery in Atlanta, um, but it just, it was just something that, you know, I turned and focused on um, other things. Uh, when I moved to Sacramento in 96, I tried going again um, up in Roseville. I live in Sacramento, so I was trying to find meetings and I lost interest. In 2010, I, I came back and was very much interested in and getting recovery and being free of this obsession. Uh, by this time, you know, I am a master at hiding. Um, I, my, my friend and I would go to events that were serving sweets and I would tell all my friends, I don't eat that stuff, I'm very healthy. You know, I don't eat any of that. Um, was a total lie because what I did was I would take plates of, of items off the, the table where the event was held and go into the bathroom and shove them down my face and come out. And my friend was like, where'd you go? I was looking for you. And this happened all the time. No matter where I went, I was always looking for something free and something sweet. And I would steal it. I, I stole stuff from um, 
my neighbors, and I remember the shame and incomprehensible demoralization of being caught. I ate all their cookies in a cookie jar. They were the nicest people in the world. I was like 12 and I went over to their house and just ate every single one of them. And Mrs. Witty, that was their name, the Witties. She said, Nancy, did you eat all of these cookies? I don't know how they guessed it was me, right? <laughs> the rest of the family was kind of skinny. And um, I immediately lied, no. And she was like, well, there's been nobody else in here. And, you know, I maintained that lie because I was so ashamed. And I always could not explain why I needed extra food and why I needed comfort food. I couldn't, there was no excuse. Like I just had to have it. And I did not know at the time that it was a spiritual addiction. That was, a, it was a spiritual problem. It was an addiction. I had no idea even though I understood what addiction was at this time. As I said, in 2010, I came back and I wanted to get serious, but I, um, I, and I had in 2003, I had gone to another pay and way and lost 60 pounds. And I worked out like a banshee. I, I worked out seven days a week, two hours a day um, so that I could, you know, utilize those 35 extra points on the weekends and um, really go to town. I, I literally was a bulimic without knowing it at the time because I just exercised anything off. And um, I also took a lot of laxatives, you know, so this is by the time I'm um, several decades sober and I'm in my forties and I look great and everybody's telling me that I look great. And I'm expecting the magic to happen. I'm expecting to have a great job. I'm expecting to get a, a boyfriend and a husband immediately. I'm expecting to be popular. I was always popular. I was always a good athlete, but I still didn't feel good enough. And um, I, when I started doing general service and another 12-step program, I just stopped going to OA. And I came back in 2016, January 4th, four days after New Year's because of another experience with going in somebody's kitchen, eating everything that was in sight and coming back out and acting like everything was okay. It was a, it was a Christmas party and we were watching um, the Christmas story, which I had never seen before about the little boy and the gun, right? And that show was hilarious. That was one of the funniest. I had never seen it and I thought it was hilarious. Yet I still had to keep going into the kitchen. And, and I mean, I'm sure they thought, what happened to all this stuff, you know? <laughs> but it was just insanity. I mean, basically what I'm saying is that it was insanity and I had no idea. I, and I was skinny. So everybody thought I was skinny and buff because that's all I did was work out, pig out, work out, pig out, pig out, work out. Um, and I was real successful at my job. So I thought, well, I've made it. Um, but I was depressed. And um, anyway, so I, I came to OA uh, that January 4th. And I have been here ever since. And I, I found somebody that I trusted um, to be my food sponsor. I, I, she was she was sponsoring me. And then I and then I we were two good of friends. So I got a regular sponsor. And I started gaining weight because my, my abstinence plan at the time was three meals a day. 
right? Well, I didn't have any kind of like measuring program, <laughs> just three meals a day, which would be anything from 18 ounce pieces of meat to, you know, giant football size potato, anything like that. So, so after I gained weight, I, I texted her and said, Hey, here's what's happening. And she said, why don't you try weighing and measuring your food? Here's the guidelines that I use. This is not OA literature or anything, but this is what I use. And so I started doing that. And of course I got, I lost all that weight and, and got back on track and felt really good. I jumped into service. I became, you know, secretaries and treasurers and stuff like that. Um, I jumped into service in intergroup and I was a secretary for one year and I was um, the chair for two years. And then this past two years, I've been um, uh, a region two rep. And I really feel like service has made me physically accountable because when I show up, I, I, I don't feel right saying that I'm serving in a service position and I'm not healthy. I'm not maintaining a healthy body weight, which is what our definition of abstinence includes. And um, I was, I was, uh, is that time? Oh, is somebody timing? Um, you have three more minutes. Oh, great. Okay, thank you. Um, and I worked the steps with my sponsor and she moved to Kansas. So I got another sponsor who is um, our trustee. So she's very much involved in service and the concepts and doing the right thing. And, you know, I, uh, I, I, became, I volunteered to become a speaker seeker for a meeting. So I want to get all y'all's numbers after this, but um, I, I volunteered to be a speaker seeker. And when I found out that the secretaries and the new officers were not doing it right and they were newcomers and they were annoying, I... I says to my sponsor, I, I want to quit as speaker seeker. And she said, no, dear, uh, you've got to finish out that six month commitment. I'm so glad that she did because what I'm finding out is that uh, all of these individuals that were so annoying were just mini me's and with the way I was desperate and didn't know, you know, I didn't know what to do when I was new and they are doing the best they can. And all of us in Overeaters Anonymous have uh, other uh, problems other than food. And um, it's it really taught me tolerance and love. So this Monday night meeting that I'm the speaker seeker used to be my home group. Um, there was 50 people when we met in person. Now there's only like 10 on Zoom. And um, all the old timers dropped off and so, you know, the change has not been a positive impact, but yet it is more intimate. And I have learned quite a bit from that service position and all service positions. Um, so I, I really would love to talk about if service has saved you, if service has saved your abstinence, if you're in service, if you're not, why not? And, um, you know, how that that's one of our tools that's rarely spoken about but I feel is just as important as a plan of eating and a plan of action um, and literature and sponsorship and phone, anonymity, all of those. So um, I just wanna thank Lewis for asking me to do this. It's always a pleasure to attend an OA meeting, especially a nice, big, healthy one like this. And um, I'll turn it over to everybody else.